Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques. Sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. This is episode 224, and I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And we're changing things up because we figure, you know, if the butterfly effect is real, maybe (laughs) things will change in the country. If we change something, maybe... Maybe maybe we'll stop putting babies in jail if we change up our format a little bit. We can only... Have you ever seen the movie The Butterfly Effect? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe our butterfly... That would be a great film, you and I... We could watch and talk about it together. No, it would be great if it was a like a sci-fi biopic where we did the, but we tried to go back in time, like oh. that JFK film where you and I. Yeah, we actually would do that. Yeah, well, I, we we our, would go back to the fourth century. But I'd be like, Bill, what if we went to modernity? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's stay. And then Bill and I spent three centuries in the fifth century. I finally convinced Bill to go back to the pre-Socratic era. <laughs> we got to get into the Heraclitus. <laughs> <laughs> just, we wa- we watched the Roman Republic like collapse like ten thousand times. Where we could tell Pythagoras, keep running, keep running. Bill <laughs> knows every senator's name and their families. <laughs> He's trying to change the bread circuses. <laughs> Bill, what if we went back further? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, we could we could say that the guy, the first guy invented fire. Do you really want to do that? <laughs> You don't know where this ends. You know what this leads to. This, that would be a great. There are people that do. Um, I mean, it would be a lot, but there are people that do. Like, I listened to one, um, like a sort of podcast that was a dramatic post-apocalyptic, like fiction. Pod. It was. It was cool. I listened to like two episodes. That's how cool it was. I listened to two episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we were in the uh, in the pre-taping. People were speculating about our the movie who, who would play us in the different parts of the yeah. movie. Yeah, and we had Michael Keaton for you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I don't know who would play me. We didn't get to, we didn't get there yet, but we'll keep working on that. So we are. Uh, what about Gilbert Godfrey? I'd love oh, that. No, I <laughs> that voice. Welcome like back <laughs> to New Persuasive. <laughs> that was that's a good. That's you know, a good Gilbert Godfrey. You know, like you it, may not be able to speak tomorrow. But. Uh, John Oliver on his last show where he made fun. Of, he did a, a two minute segment where they made fun of British Parliament. It's illegal to make fun of Parliament on TV. So his, in that segment, was just blacked out. So like, well, we're going to make fun of uh, uh, Parliament again. And for the British people, you, uh, your version has Gilbert Godfrey reading Yelp reviews from Utah. <laughs> I went to this restaurant because I had a coupon. It was okay. I give it three stars. But had I not had the coupon, I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to make you don't have to make fun of Parliament because they do it themselves. That's what's great about the British Parliament. They they hiss, they boo while they're talking. It's kind of if you ever watched them, it's kind of fun. It's amazing. What if we did a segment where we took David Fitch's favorite our favorite tweets and I read them as Gilbert Godfrey? Oh, that would be so good. Oh, I would love that. Jamie Smith's book <laughs> sounds like good political theology. But it's just more Christendom. 
That's see. Someone suggested a new podcast for me, but that would be I would I would want to listen to. What that. if I ask you, Bill? Give me your thoughts on Fetch. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is it's good. It's good. We took a little time off. We took a little time. We took a little time. All right, so we're going to jump into anthropology today, and again, we have. Uh, the disclaimer, we have said on the front end, we're not sure what we think. We're trying to discover it out Although there. I thought our last podcast was fascinating. I don't know that it achieved what we intended to, but like a great book chapter for a different book. Yeah. Like, no. I mean, it was very interesting. And we do. We end up... Well, with- by the way, let, here's the sound of, you know, the sound of one hand clapping. Here's the sound of four hands clapping for ourselves. But I thought it was interesting. I just thought... As as Bohr said the other day, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for like, for like I, President West Charlesworth once said. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think we originally thought about thinking about creation and fall from the perspective of like thinking about all these debates about law, grace, sanctification, and, and just the on the ground living in the Christian life, and these the sort of you know, there's reactions to things like antinomianism, right? That you preach a bunch of grace and people just live however the hell they want. And then, you know, there are critiques of the sort of, well, you know, most of a lot of people, at least in American Christianity, have this experience on liberal and conservative ends of the spectrum. And and a lot of things in between. Religion seems repressive, a bunch of rules. It's not existential or transformative or redemptive. And so some people have asked us to, to put a finer point on some of our disagreements, our agreements and things of that nature and when people have asked i've said i don't know what we think on these things several people have said andrew stravitz and others have said we come to a collaborative point at the end but they don't feel like we've solved anything and we've gone back and forth and found a a sort of space we occupy together but they don't understand how we get there yeah well mate you know i was thinking um, and we didn't even, we didn't use, this is something we usually would talk about beforehand. But the, as I was driving over here, I thought, you know, maybe one of the ways to get at this, because I do think we react a bit to reactionary theology because we, we, I mean, I, and at some levels, again, you know, the creative enterprise is always reacting to something. Okay. But almost most of the distortions, I think. Unless you're Andy Kaufman. <laughs> right. A lot of distortions come from over 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 stating something, over arguing something. Yeah, and um, and we probably should do a little more reading on this to, to jump into it. But that's never stopped us before. <laughs> but I, at one point, I had done a lot of reading on this. But it seems to me that a good example of this is the Pelagius Augustinian debate. Okay, of and this is my own personal preference, but I where Augustine was in the middle of the debate. I think it's pretty helpful. Um, I think there's good, in spite of maybe how it was done, I think it was good that Augustine won that argument. I think it was also good that the church, for the most part, renounced extreme Augustinianism going forward. You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, it becomes almost a Protestant thing to talk about, you know, you're semi-Pelagian or whatever. But the church never was fully Augustinian in, in the extreme points of his view, particularly late Augustinian. But this whole idea of the nature of the human experience in some levels was around what is what does the ideal Christian life look like? And uh, though Pelagian, <laughs> I know that what? Donald Trump, and we've already said, <laughs> I mean, the, make America great again. All these people have said 
Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, Pelagius was not, I mean, Augustine is more the innovator than Pelagius. I think that much is true. But Pelagius was representing, in a lot of ways, what Augustine had hoped to become. Uh, And Pelagius's vision of, though, you know, the idea of him reacting against um, Augustine's extreme view of total depravity and other things as appealing to the modern person, Pelagius's view of what the Christian life, the ideal Christian life, would be was an extremely elitist view that only very, very few people could ever achieve or attain. And Augustine's view of grace and also the view of fallenness of humanity, I think, was a much more pastorally sensitive and grounded position. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think you can say that uh, some levels, Augustine reacting to Pelagius is not dissimilar from Paul reacting to the Pharisaic movement or Luther reacting to monasticism. You feel like a lot of evangelicals today are Pelagians with their own congregation and Democrats, but are Augustinians to Trump. <laughs> I mean, he's a flawed man, very biased. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they, they're, uh, you know, August, Augustine would excommunicate Trump. So there would be, there'd be, you know, there would be no doubt in my mind that he would be uh, barred from communion. But um, no, I think you're probably, that's a good point. So there's a sense where, you know, now, uh, Augustine's understanding of that the average person could not live up to this extreme ascetic ideal. Um, and that was part of what was going on in Christianity begins in the fourth century and, and certainly is still, uh, you know, throughout the lifetime of Augustine, this idea that the ideal Christian life was one that was the, the extreme that you had to give up, you know, you gave up everything that the only way to truly be sure you could be saved was, you know, to live the ascetic life, uh, a life that tried to free itself from all human passions and all uh, normal, the normal trapments of life. And I think this is kind of a paraphrase of something Peter Brown sa- says in his biography. I think this is Peter Brown. It might be Bonner, but I think it's Peter Brown's biography. You know, for Augustine, the average Christian was someone who had to work, make a living, who slept with his wife, uh, who did the best he could. Um, and he came and, and needed um, needed conf- you know needed confession and needed the ministry of grace every week. That was the Augustinian ideal of the normative Christian, uh, very different from the ascetic elitism of uh, and elitism not the right term, but I do think uh, I do think Pelagius. If you extend Pelagius's project out, it was something in he himself. Only a very few people. Could well, today the pastoral challenging uh, challenge of a fraudulent billionaire who likes to sleep with everybody and lie all the time and it gets bored because they can't watch porn in the White House. I mean, that's a different, you know, a lot of Pastor Jeffries, they're dealing with a different problem, actually having to be the confessor of somebody that... <laughs> well, you can't be a confessor if someone doesn't confess. He did take communion. He says that's almost like an act of... He takes the little wafer. I take the little bread and the little cup. You know how yeah, you know he's taking it? Because he was in this sort of protestant church with no aesthetics i took the little cup and i take the little wafer he actually probably did a little piece of bread okay okay his wife is a devout catholic yeah, yeah. and, and it, i think it you know seems like a really decent person right yeah, yeah but like, who knows only god knows can i say by the way my augustine that i like yeah um that, well i'll preface it by quoting t.s Eliot and the intro to a book published in like the 50s on Revelation, like Bart has an, Revelation not the book of, but the concept of Revelation in a pluralistic world. Bart, uh, Bergyov, Bruner, uh, uh, you know, all these, Elaine, all these people have essays, and they asked T.S. Eliot to write the intro. The intro is worth the whole book. 
But Elliot says, any apologetic which presents the Christian faith as a preferable alternative to secular philosophy, which fights secularism on its own ground, is making a concession, which is a preparation for defeat. Apologetic which proceeds from part to part of the body of Christian belief, testing each by itself according to secular standards of credibility, and which attempts to constitute Christian belief as a body of acceptable parts, so as to end by placing the least possible burden upon faith seems to me to be a reversal of the proper method. Should we not try to apprehend the meaning of Christianity as a whole, leading the mind to contemplate first the great gulf between the Christian mind and the secular habits of thought and feeling into which, so far as we fail to watch and pray, we all tend to fall. And then he has a footnote here. For instance, the doctrine of the damnation of unbaptized infants has been commonly rejected in recent times simply because it is repugnant. But Jeff Sessions has picked it up. Well, again, we're going, yeah, so they very good with Elliot. I like that. Uh, but the development of, of the state of mind to which this doctrine is repugnant must itself be examined before we can accept it with confidence. And the question of the repugnance of a doctrine is not the same as that of its truth. This is perhaps the extreme. <laughs> I love Elliot. This is perhaps the extreme case. But it is obviously very dangerous to rely on a sentiment of recent growth, especially when the higher religious emotions have certainly tended to atrophy or occlusion. So my Augustine's infant damnation, Augustine, but you know. But you know, Bill, I'm a more, you know, you're a sentimental, romantic optimist, and I'm kind of a hard historian. <laughs> Uh, but that uh, that there, essay is fantastic. There's a, there's a great there's a great note in Bonaventure or Bonaventure where he says uh, talking about infant damnation or something like that. He says, "Oh, wonderful! How it's basically saying Augustine's wonderful, wonderful. Of course, he's absolutely wrong here." <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you. David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Samantha Konauer, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Well, I think, you know, one of the things about 
getting back to Augustine, which I think in many ways... But if Augustine could have had a time machine, we'd have, would he have gone forward and killed infant Hitler? We're always thinking of going backwards. What if Augustine could have gone forward and killed infant Hitler? Yeah, I don't know. Would you kill infant Hitler? Uh, no. Yeah, I think it's hard to kill an infant. Well, I think it's hard. To, I think it's hard to kill anything. It, you know, it's possible it could be worse. I was thinking of the emotive thing. You're like, oh, I mean, of course, a little Adolf. I can see the mustache growing, but it could get worse. <laughs> Maybe we should have taken him out of that house. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been, I'd take him home with me. Give him, raise him. <laughs> this is this is after Peter Bohr. There's a little Adolf Bohr. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bill's hashtag Bill's thoughts. <laughs> a little chopping how, wood. How would I rate off? How would I if little Adolf was adopted? Um, Tom, the painting is great. It's fantastic. Yeah, affirm affirm the painting. But um, one of the things I think about when you, when you think of Augustine in terms of particularly when it comes to anthropology, which uh, anyway, which many. Um, you know, both you can argue. I, you know, in essence, both Luther and Calvin take the extreme Augustinian anthropology. Would you not agree with that? Uh, I don't think it's extreme, but I, I think no the 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 extreme position of uh, they would take they would take they would not be semi Augustinians when it comes to their doctrine of the original sin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What, they take. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, they take. They take Augustine without a mixer or ice. Well, again, the thing about Augustine, he, he writes over a long period of time, and his views change. I mean, you could say that we also have gotten into this point about, like, I think, um, like with Karl Barth. I mean, there are certain, you know, the, the anti-sacramental uh, Bart. You you recently described yourself. To, this is what I do also oftentimes in our friendship. I interpret what you say about your own self descriptions to friends. So we were golfing with a friend, and people asked me, "Well, Bill says he's Bardian, but through von Balthasar, what does that mean?" I, and I sit and like I'm appreciate you. I'm like a Deutero Bill. Like <laughs> uh, you're my you're my perpetual foot. Exactly. I'm like, well, what Bill really? But now, I mean, I think that about like somebody like Carl Bard. Who's sure. Like, you know, and often are 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 you know people that are great thinkers have these gaps or or not even gaps it's just that they're they're so furtive and interesting that they create you know great work like that, that and and, yeah. and luther and calvin definitely pick up on one part of it it's it's the what, what did we talk about the other uh, two or three podcasts ago uh that niebuhr's quote were at the Reformation, the church split Augustine. Yeah, you know, the Catholics said we'll take the ecclesiology, and the Protestants said we'll take the soteriology. Well, right, and, and and one can argue the Reformation and the you know the Renaissance or the uh, humanistic debate. I mean, it was an argument over the right interpretation of Augustine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that was a living. I mean that's that's a living argument going on. You know, the century and before the Reformation into the Reformation. Yeah. So I mean, this idea of of the hashtag bring it back. <laughs> but I mean, one of the things it seems to me that for Augustine, and, and I think the trouble, you know, Augustine's a man of late antiquity, and so Augustine, the Augustinian, you know, the problems of what it means to live the Christian life. I'm surprised people. you said that's a problem. One of the problems is, <laughs> I, I thought you said the first thing. Yeah, you know, he's a man of late antiquity, which is only one of the many reasons we should admire him. <laughs> Well, I mean, we all have a problem of, of articulating our faith in our own time. So, I mean, how do you, you know, how how do you read a text written as occasional writings in the first century to a bunch of churches that were struggling? Now, how do you read that as Holy Scripture in the twenty first century? I mean, so there's a there's a problem. That's especially a, when the word text doesn't conjure up antiquity, but Kim Kardashian. 
<laughs> yeah. So I think part of... Do you have thoughts on the Kardashians? Uh, only bad ones. But, um, and mostly they don't matter. That's what I think. God, sure. They matter to God, but to me, no. I like, I mean, I, I, I like that Kim went and lobbied for the woman who had a, a non-just uh, conviction. No, I mean, there are thousands of women like her that should be out of prison right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, a thousand points of light. A thousand. <laughs> yeah. I want New Zealand. I want to be in New Zealand right now. I want my I want the leader of my government having babies, not putting babies. In I jail. feel like you would do great in New Zealand. I think New Zealand. I would be great. Do we have New Zealand listeners? Yeah, we do. Okay, yeah, we do. I, I'm open. I, I we actually have. If you want to send me, if there's a job opening, what, some of my seriously closest friends live in New Zealand and listen. Like I set them up. They're married. They have two kids and others too that listen. But. Yeah, you would do great there. Yeah, I, I, all right, there we go. I hear it's beautiful. So so there, I put that on the list. Possible jobs in New Zealand for Bill. One other things we can be working on. Getting to this idea of concupiscence, which is the heart of what, you know, what, what Augustine thinks is the chief sign and symbol of, of original sin. Which and, is wrongly ordered desire. Right. And it's interesting, unfortunate. I mean, there's an incredibly unfortunate history of the of the sexual interpretation of this in the Western tradition. Yeah, it's not. It's you are what you love, right? And for Augustine, for Augustine, in some levels, sexual desire is kind of the sacrament of sin because for him, it represents not because sin and sex is in itself uh, a wrong. As a matter of fact, he's probably one of the few church fathers that not only had sex but liked it <laughs> and had a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, well, at least Jerome, yeah. Jerome. Had all the sponsors. Well, yeah, Jerome had some scandals. Had female Bible. Yeah, Jerome, Jerome's. In, you don't get to the fact that Jerome liked it. Yeah, Jerome had some. Yeah, I mean, he was that. Evagoras had an affair and had to leave. Yeah, and Gregory Nyssa and Nazianzus were both married, but nonetheless. I mean, you figure Jerome is like one of these awkward types, like um, oh yeah, like uh, Harvey Weinstein. I'm peeing in a plant. No, you, know, you have Augustine. Like, hi, I'm Saint Augustine. I'm a lawyer from. <laughs> North Africa. How are you, sweetheart? <laughs> yeah, Jerome. But unlike unlike the pre- he was repentant. Like, yeah, I always I always told I always said that it, uh, if Jerome, if Jerome <laughs> what if we be- just did a whole thing where they got our hearts are restless until they rest at me. <laughs> Bill Clinton reading Augustine's <laughs> confessions. Reading uh, there we go. If the next time you do someone does confessions on tape. Or on, uh, yeah, I, I vote for I vote for Bill Clinton reading that. That would bring a whole new interpretation. My heart is restless until it rests in thine, Megan Kelly. <laughs> Lord, make me count it, but not yet. Not yet, please, never. <laughs> and God, why'd you put me with Hillary? <laughs> I've been trying to get to my concupiscence thing for five minutes here. The idea of what, what is that for Augustine? The most fundamental. I mean, all. All creatures reproduce, okay? And so is, as humans, we're supposed to be the highest. You know, for him, the intellect was the highest faculty. And the fact that we can't control our sexual desires. We can't, you know, for him, he uses the example that you can't control a route. You know, you can't control your erection. That's, he literally says that at work. Therefore, it, for him, it was symbolic. Problem solved. <laughs> Viagra. Seattle. No, I mean, that, it wasn't. It was, Depends if it, you're having no, a dinner uh, date or not. Augustine, what, the problem of Augustine wasn't that he couldn't get up. It was getting up too often. That well, was putrid. <laughs> uh, but the idea that 
the most fu- fundamental re- reproduction, you know, the most fundamental thing that we share with all creatures, even though we're the highest fact for him, we're the highest creature. Uh, the fact that we can't control that for him is a sign that something's horribly wrong with all of human, the human condition. So that's the whole thing around the sexuality that has a very unfortunate um, afterlife uh, uh, from Augustine. And uh, I once had a, f- uh, a friend of mine who was a psychologist who came out of uh, uh, Brethren in Christ, a holiness church, and he said the holiness movement kept him in business as a psychologist. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. We Re- like that. Repression does a lot of things to people. But nonetheless, <clears throat> that's for for Augustine, you know, the idea that we can't, we don't, our minds cannot control our wills. That there's, that for him, the heart of uh, of what's broken in the human human species, the human race, is that because of sin, our higher selves cannot control our lower selves. And for, for Augustine, what we love is what we are. You know, our love, yeah. my love is my gravity. So there's a sense where the bent will of, of the bent will, the broken will of the human person means that we always, um, yeah, we do. May he rest in peace. By the way, when we get Facebook comments, we should, we should say, hey, like radio, like, by the way, Bill, let me interrupt you. For, we're practicing for radio. By the way, Bill, pause that thought because from Sue Joyner, uh, we have who is in I think South or North Carolina. Um, she's curious. Do you respect the late Charles Krauthammer, a brilliant conservative? Yes, Krauthammer is amazing. He got in a diving accident in medical school at Harvard, finished on time from a hospital bed. They actually, and this is in the '60s, the technology they actually put it on the ceiling in overheads. And he was, uh, you know, he became a psychiatrist, went into political punditry because he thought, well, if you get the politics right, you'll get everything else right. Like, which it's funny because most conservatives now argue the politics are less important and we go ground up. I mean, he's a kind of one of these bridge figures that was really taken by Reagan and became a pretty adroit. I mean, this morning on Morning Joe, Eugene Robinson was saying, he often had to share column spaces with Krauthammer. And I mean, it was very moving. He said, it, it, if I had to, like, I reread my column like four times because Krauthammer was amazing. And it was a guy that was, uh, 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 you know, which is not popular on Fox right now. Uh, it, it was a critic of Trump to the end. I mean, yeah. really. Uh, a, num- a number of years ago, he said Trump lacked fundamental parental compassion. Yeah, I mean yeah. Trump. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah. Crownhammer. We're Crownhammer fans. Not always yeah. in agreement, but no, no, we respect, very respected him. Sue, thank you. As our, this is our new format. Now we know this, right? What we'll do is when a Facebook comments, we're gonna respond to it. We'll say we're interrupting the broadcast because we're also going Facebook Live. So it's like a caller. We're like, oh, hey, we have a comment. Right, because we do want as much as this can be. Anytime this can be a dialogue with the people who are listening, we yeah. want that to be the case. So yeah, and I think. Uh, Sue, thanks for that. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. And yeah. may he rest in peace. Yeah. So the problem, getting back to Augustine, for Augustine, the problem is that <clears throat> the most fundamental thing that drives us are our loves, which, you know, really foundationally, ultimately influence what we think. Like, if I want to know you, I could ask what you think, and I'll get a window. But if I could get into what you love and want, I, I know you. Yeah. Like, I, this is why, like... People that do psychological profiles, right? Like they want to know what you're doing all the time, what you pursue. I mean, because your love is who you are. And so ultimately, Augustine, you know, the the remedy is to 
it's funny because justification for Augustine is not what it is in popular parlance. It's the process by which our love is healed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think this is where Aquinas actually is inconsistent with Augustine. Whether actually, you know, saving faith is faith completed by love. Yeah. And, and so this idea, as a matter of fact, there's so much even within Augustine where you can say the trouble of humanity is disordered love. So sometimes, you know, uh, gluttony is loving, uh, you know, one piece of chocolate cake is good. Uh, eating the whole cake is bad. Um, and we often love things that, too much that we shouldn't love as much. And frequently, you know, we don't love enough as the things we should love in a greater way. So this idea... President G loved the one piece <laughs> of chocolate, chocolate cake. cake. There we go. Uh, but so this idea of this, that humanity by nature's loves are always disordered. And that's kind yeah. of... And so... Um, and, and quantity and quality. I mean, and quantity and quality. Yeah. Now, there is a sense where, under under grace, that, that can become to be reordered. I think Augustine would have a, would have a different view of, of the Christian life than, than some people who take his view of, of original sin. I yeah. Think, yeah, I think, I don't think, I don't think, I think Luther and Calvin are in a different place with the Christian life than Augustine is. And that's probably something we should pick up there. So, what if in the next podcast, I defend Luther and Calvin? That'd be great. But I do the whole thing. When I read from them, mm-hmm. I do it in the voice of Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, is that a compromise to me? <laughs> <laughs> I just conceded your point. No, I, I, you know, I, I think I, 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 I read Luther and Calvin probably as much as I read anybody. The, Lord, the Christian is Lord of all and servant of all. <laughs> so those of you who are looking for clarity from us, continue... But yeah, wait. keep keep wandering. But we uh, we will keep at this. But right? and we love that you're listening and in, in dialogue with us because it's, you know it's it's nice. It's meaningful. Well, us. originally we were going to say anthropology, the Laodicean option. Yeah. <laughs> we're a little kind of lukewarm about it. Sometimes we, we, we're lukewarm. Yeah, we're, we don't like the, we don't like the low anthropology, but we certainly don't like the high anthropology. Yeah. So we're as my grandfather said, well, we're about fair to midland. That's where we're at. <laughs> but there was a guy at Fox Chapel. Who shall remain nameless? Who, who came up to the pastor years ago when I was on staff there? He used to come up every week, very warm, warm sermon, warm sermon, and 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 pa- the pastor was just a good guy. Just okay, thanks. And then after the seventh or eighth time, he said, "Don't you want to know what warm means?" Sure, not so hot. <laughs> so there you go. If you're I, looking to be yeah. an unkind person to a pastor, do that. Yeah, and I, I think I think this podcast may have been warm. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Right. We're trying. We're getting we're, there. We're getting there. Andrew, we blame you, and yeah. we'll keep going. All right. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Good night. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and banter. Thanks again for listening to New Persuasive Words. 